listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Minister the word for a few minutes here this morning. I say a few minutes and you know better than that. Um, it will be a few, you know, but it'll be a few more than just three. So I, I want to talk about, and I've, I've been ministering on... Uh, on this, uh, as the Lord has allowed, because we've had some other things come up, and He's He's directed us uh, in some different ways. And I love I love to be able to do that. I love to come in, and you know, the Lord will have things in our heart, but then sometimes it'll just say, "Actually, that's what you thought we were going to do, but we're going to do this over here." And I I like having I like having order, but also having spontaneity. And you can have both of those combined. You can, be, you can be in order, and then you can also fly by the seat of your pants, if you want to put it that way, where the Lord says this, a word gets released, and the next thing you know, you're all at the altar pouring your hearts out, or you, know, you, you have a, a line form to pray for people for healing, or whatever it is. We just love to move with the Holy Spirit. The, the church is meant to carry his presence, not just to carry words, but to carry his presence. And so if he is here, and he is here, then it's right for people to honor him. Because really, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking that we talk about hosting his presence. And I often think about what it's like to host somebody that would come to your house, a guest to your house. But the deal is, is that he really is the mainstay here. <laughs> he's, he's the one that, in a sense, is kind of hosting us. But it, it goes back to the idea of acknowledging him, acknowledging his presence He's not just some mystical thing, you know, in, in, in the air that we occasionally mention the third part of the Godhead. He is the part that is here with us now. He is a person. He has emotions. He has thoughts. He has plans. He has workings. He has giftings. He has all kinds of things that we just have to come together and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do, that's the thing that we want to see come, come to pass. And there's a delicate balance with all of that because I've been, you know, around people over the years to where they, they, I think their intentions were to let the Holy Ghost move, but it was a bunch of nuts and fruits and flakes doing a bunch of granola bar, you know, Christian kind of nuts and fruits and flakes make up granola bars. But anyways, you know, just a lot of strange things were going on. And some people would look at us and say that we're strange and, you know, that's fine, but we have order but we also allow the Holy Spirit to come in and breathe and move and do things. Amen. But for this morning, he's got, uh, wants me to continue ministering on, on finances. And I, I love to talk about finances because I love the fact that God has a purpose for finances and understanding that purpose will cause us to steward what he has given us properly. And really part of stewardship is knowing that you don't own what you have, but you take care of what is in your possession. Because every dollar that comes to us, if you can develop a mentality of that Lord, 100% of everything that, that belongs to me really belongs to you. And I'll do anything that you ask anytime, anywhere, whatever you want, God, it all belongs to you. And with that being said, and I believe next week, we're going to give, we're going to lay out some super practical uh, things concerning how, you, how to handle your money. Because I've met people that are like, oh, I just love to give. And they give, they give themselves into a hole. And that's not, 
that's not the Lord. But then I've also met other people that they're, that they're not givers or any and all of the above concerning giving. But then they also don't handle their finances properly. They spend more than they should make. Uh, I mean, they spend more than they make and they just, they don't know how to handle it. So we're going to lay out and hopefully I can, I can pry Liz out of the chair to come up here with me and help me with that because she's smarter at that stuff than I am. But we're just going to give you some very basic things concerning uh, how to handle finances. We're going to show you some things that we do and things that God's shown us and how to, how to handle things properly because he does want you to give, but he also wants you to save. And he also wants you to invest to where you can increase the amount of money you have. Then you'll have more to live on. Then you'll have more to save. Then you'll have more to invest and you will have more to give. But I'm going to get into all of that next week. So this morning, I really want to hit in particular with just talking about our, our hearts concerning money. And it's right for us because we're made in the image of God, it's right for us to have a right heart, a right understanding concerning money to where we represent God's heart properly. And I believe that God is a good steward. Like I just said, I believe he stewards his earth very, very well. And so we're supposed to do that same thing. But you know, God is an extremely generous God. If you think about it, he has given us so much, not only in the earth, even before Jesus came, but then after Jesus came or when Jesus came, he gave heaven's best to us. He is a generous God. And we have to, and we need to purpose within ourselves that we develop a heart of being generous to where we are quicker to open our hand than to clench our fist. And for a lot of people, if they weren't raised like that, that's hard for them to get into a flow in their life like that. But I can promise you, it's one of the most uh, important things and one of the most freeing things where you get to a point, not to where you stop stewarding and just throw your money around willy-nilly, but you get to a point to where you're not bound by your money. You're not bound by what you have in your bank account or you don't have in your bank account but you're really bound to a law of love that says, God, all this belongs to you, and I will bless anyone or any work or anything at any time that you want me to do, that you, that you want me to bless. And getting to a place like that is a lot more fun than being worried about finances, than being concerned, and then and putting your trust in those things. That's the place that God has called us to be. Because if we are made in his image, that means that we should, we should look a whole lot like God. And I'm not saying I'm all there, but I'm further along than where I used to be. And one of the things that God really began to work in my heart, as I've shared some with you guys already, is that I, I was trusting in finances. I was trusting in my ability to produce finances. I had a hard time releasing things like the Lord really wanted me to. But when I got freed from that, it absolutely just totally set me free and brought me to another level. And not, not only in just in freedom in life, but in my relationship with him. Money, and I'm not going to go by, I'll just say this quickly, I'm not going to, because I've already talked about this, but money is the, is the basis, foundational principle for where you are at in your, tr in your trust with the Lord. So sometimes people will be like, I'm believing for miracles, I'm believing for, and whatever the list is, but they really haven't come to a place in their own heart and their life to trust the Lord with their money. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're trying to get to level, if you want to say level 10 or 20, and they haven't even stepped on level one. And the Lord's saying, actually, you've, you're clenching your fist, and you're, you're not even trusting me with the basic necessities of life, and you think you're going to see miracles? Think again. 
And I'm not saying that God is withholding, but the principle stands concerning faith that if you can't believe God here, you're not going to see things here. You're not going to be able to believe him here. Does that make sense? And so the Lord uses finances to help uh, us be able to see where we are at. And if we are trusting in money, then we are not trusting in him. And trusting in finances is the least area of trusting the Lord. I remember when I heard that for the first time, I was so disappointed (laughs) because I was like, God, I'm believing you for this and for that and whatever. And when he told me, he said, actually, let's look at money here and finances is the least area and you're not trusting me in that. I was like, man, I mean, it just pulled the rug out from underneath me, but it needed to be pulled out because I had trust in the money that was in my hand and and I was not trusting the Lord. I was trusting in, you know, going back to the spirit of of mammon, which is a spirit that's attached to money, and it's looking for servants. Because it says that you will either serve God or you will serve mammon. You'll serve the spirit of the Lord or you'll serve the spirit of mammon, which is a spirit that's on money. Both are looking for servants, but only one of those sets of servants gets treated well, and it's God's servants, amen? And so when we can get ourselves free from the spirit of mammon, which says to, and I, I got this from Brother Andrew, I love this. He says, to get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of mammon. And it's all about pulling in and holding in. And I got to save. I gotta, and I'm, I'm not against saving, but it's the heart condition behind those things that determines where your trust really is at. And we need to come to a place where our trust is fully in the Lord. To where if the Lord, and it's good for you to go there in your mind, what if the Lord came to you? And it would have to be an extreme situation and you would need writing on the wall. But just put yourself there. If the Lord were to come to you and say, I want you to give every single thing. Let's pretend you have your cars paid for and your house paid for and you have a million dollars in the bank. And the Lord were to come to you and say, I want you to give all of that away. And and most people, like if I said, let's see a show of hands, who would do that? Everyone would be like, yeah, I would do it. But if you really know you and God really knows you and you put yourself in that position I think a lot of us would go, oh, man, I would have a hard time doing that. And you know why we'd have a hard time? Because our trust would be in in the natural things and not in the spirit of God that would tell us to do that. Amen. And I'm not saying he's telling you to do that. That's that's an extreme. But what I'm saying is we have to come back to a place to where we, we look at our heart. Are we trusting in him or are we trusting in the things that we have? Because it's very elusive. And this is why multiple times Jesus says that, that, you know, like, like it's harder for a rich man to enter than a poor man. Why? Is it because rich people are e- evil? No, it's because rich people, oftentimes you'll find that they trust in what they have. But I've also found a lot of times with poor people that they also trust in what they have or they don't have. It always comes back to an issue of trust. Amen. So I want to talk to you about uh, and deal with three different kinds of conditions that can be in our heart. And so this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Is everybody with me? Deuteronomy chapter 15. And this, I love this passage. And to give you just a little bit of a backdrop on this, this is really going to shed some really great light on some things. But Deuteronomy 15, and basically from chapter, from verse 1 through verse 6, he's talking about that every seven years that there's supposed to be a complete forgiveness of debt. And so if, if you had borrowed money from somebody, from one of your brothers or sisters, and you couldn't pay them back, then after seven years, all of your debts would be totally forgiven. 
Who would like to live underneath of that kind of system? Amen. That sounds pretty good. But the other end of it is that if you have lent any money to anybody, and this, of course, was under the, under the law, if you had lent any money to anybody after seven years, if they had not paid you back, then they also were free from the debt that, that was owed to you by them. And so that's, that's what he's talking about here. And I want to talk about, I'm going to read a few verses here, and then I'm going to come back and talk about three different kinds of heart conditions that are listed here. One is a hard heart. The other one is a wicked heart or a selfish heart. And then the last one is a grieved heart. And I'm going to go in and give some more understanding about that. But let's start in verse 7, knowing the backstory, the backdrop of this a little bit. In verse 7, it says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren with, within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Verse 9, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and becomes and becomes sin among you. And what he's saying there is that if it's you know if you're at the six and a half year mark and, and somebody's in need and you lend him something, you know that probably in the next six months you're not going to get your money back, and you withhold from him. It's a wicked or a, a selfish heart, we could say. And I'll get into more of that in a minute. Verse ten it says, and you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand to. So I want to talk about these three different kind of heart conditions that are listed here. It's a hard heart, which is found in verse 7. Verse 9 is a wicked heart. And then verse 10 is a grieved heart. And so a hardened heart, very simply put, is when someone is unwilling to see the need. They're unwilling to see the need. And there could be a lot of things that are attached to that, why they are unwilling. But somebody who has become hardened is not willing to look upon somebody and see their need because they, don't, they ultimately don't want to do anything about it probably because of greed, because of whatever it is that's going on in their heart. Maybe they've got offense because they helped that person before and they didn't pay him back or whatever it is. And listen, there's, let me just say this from the get-go. There's wisdom in giving people money and not giving people money and lending people money and not lending people money. So this passage isn't to throw out the wisdom that would be involved in helping particular people. But what he is pointing here and what this is pointing here is the heart condition behind it. So it could be that the Lord would say, actually, I don't want you to give any more money into that person because they're buying booze or whatever. But it doesn't mean that your heart should be shut up and come against them just because they're doing something wrong with the money that has been given to them. We still should keep an open heart and keep a tender heart to be able to help minister to people any way the Lord would want us to be able to minister to them. So a hard heart is, is a heart that is unwilling to see the need. And we've been there before in, in a lot of different places. You know, recently we were uh, in D.C. And I remember when we were walking with the guys at one point, we saw a bunch of of homeless people sitting there. And one of the guys in particular said, man, I hate to see these people sitting there. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that would walk by them 
And, and there can be a lot of things involved with homeless people in the United States. They're not all poor, and so I'm not going to get off on, on that track. There's a lot of them that, that beg for money and drive nice cars and everything else. They're just too lazy to work. But I'm not saying that's all of them, so we have to keep our heart open. But what I do realize is that people that live in an environment where poor people are at, they often get tired of their presence, and their heart becomes hardened to where they're not even willing to see their need anymore. You know, I found this years ago. I went to uh, India. It was a Chennai, India, which is a ginormous, they would call it a slum city. And there was more people begging and stuff than you could shake a stick at. I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of poverty that was there. And I was with a friend of mine. And the first time we had gotten out of the car and walked in a public space, the people, uh, I don't know what the right word is, they, they, not attacked us, but I'm trying to think of the right word, but they were, they wanted something. You know what I mean? They were coming, they're like, they saw white people and they're like, they've got money. And it was, it was person after person, after person, after person, after person that was begging for food, for money. Some of it was probably legitimate. Some of it probably was not legitimate. But when I saw that, he saw the look on my face. He said, Kent, you cannot give to every one of these people. You can't, it's impossible. You cannot give to every one of these people. We have to keep walking. And I realized that if you were in that environment, you could get, if you weren't careful, you could become really hardened towards the needs of the people that are around. So it's not always about meeting the need, but it's about your heart being open and willing to meet the need, being willing to see your brother in need and for the Lord to work through you to help that person if it's the right time and the right place in the right situation. Let me give you a couple of things, and these are kind of warnings. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, if we could pull that up here. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, and this speaks to the time that we're in. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. I believe that we're there and it's ever increasing. For men will be lovers of themselves. Wow. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And in verse 3, it goes on. But look at the first part of verse 2. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves. He's giving a warning here saying, be careful because there's, there's coming a time when people will become more selfish. And so this is what I would say to the church. Don't just... Be concerned about people becoming selfish, but you make sure you don't fall prey to the spirit of the world and you also become hardened and selfish. Because we see more and more of that going on around us all the time. We live in a very self-centered, individualistic, self-gratifying world where it is all about self. I'll throw something out there and, and I'm, you know, I don't want to be too hard on anybody because we do this. So, uh, but uh, it's interesting how you can be sitting in a room with people and it's almost like we've lost the ability to just sit and communicate. Has anybody ever noticed that? And it's like, you know, we've heard, we see the, the, the Facebook posts, like you guys want to come over and hang out on phones together. And so, you know, what is that? I think it's selfishness creeping in. I'm not against looking on your phone and doing whatever. That's fine. But if you're not careful, those kind of selfish things just creep in. And before you know it, sitting in a room with people that you can bless, minister to, help, speak into, communicate with, love on, you're sitting there just looking on your device, having zero connection with them, and unless you're texting them in the same room, which... We've done that before, you know? It's like, where are you? I'm across the living room. Okay, not really. But anyway, so this is, this is something that's creeping into our world, and we need to be very, very careful that we don't fall prey to it. Let me show you one more verse concerning this just being having a hardened heart, and this is Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. I love this verse or what it reveals. It says, and because 
lawlessness or also iniquity, some translations put, will abound. And let me tell you something that's really important. Liz and I were talking about this uh, recently. Let me finish reading the verse and I want to come back and hit something. Because lawlessness or iniquity, iniquity will abound. The love of many will grow cold or wax cold. And so do we have the regular King James Version? Can you pull that up there, that verse in the regular King James, if that's possible? But a King, regular King James says, and because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. And I'm going to explain that just a little bit more. But when it's talking about iniquity, here's something that's important about uh, iniquity is that sin, oftentimes we think sin and iniquity are the same thing, but they're actually, there's a distinct difference between them. Sin is the outward manifestation. It's an action that's, that's improper, that's not right, that's whatever. But iniquity is the heart condition behind it. So when it talks about lawlessness or iniquity, he's actually talking about the people's hearts growing in their, their heart condition. And whatever you're talking about, that, that actually is, is something that's, that's increasing. And it says that, there we go, <clears throat> excuse me, and because iniquity... Because that evil heart condition shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And when it's talking about waxing, this is talking about the process, just like the process of how you would make a candle. And I, I don't know much about candle making, but I do know that it's done in layers. And so when you, or it used to be anyways, and that's what this is making reference to, that you would take a wick and you would dip it inside the wax and you would pull it out and you would let it dry. And then you would dip it in again and you would pull it out and you would let it dry. And you would continue that process until you built up a huge layer of wax. And what he's saying here is that in the time we live in, because of the iniquity inside of people's hearts, because of their heart conditions, that they continue to harden themselves and they continue to let their hearts wax cold, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And before you know it, they become this very hardened person, this very hardened uh, individual that, that loses any kind of softness towards people around it. But the thing is, is it's not a one-time thing. It's something that is a, it's a waxing. It's a, it's a dipping over and over and over and over. It's a process. So what I would say to you is be careful of any process that would cause you, any thought pattern, any heart condition that would cause you to continue to have your heart waxed cold and become hardened towards people around you. Amen. Really important. You know, Jesus, what made his ministry so powerful, part of it is because he was moved with compassion. And he was quicker, and I, I don't believe Jesus made any errors, but I would say it like this, that Jesus would have been quicker to err on the side of compassion than he, than he would have judgment. Because sometimes we'll look at people and be like, oh, they're, they're just lazy. Or that, but we don't know all the details that, that are going on in their life. And if you go down to the end of this passage in Deuteronomy, in verse 11, let's go back there really quickly. It says, for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and your needy in your land. That's a pretty powerful statement. And Jesus, Jesus repeated this, and he said, the poor will always be amongst you. There will always be poor people. You know, it's not an issue as to whether they're poor or they're needy. It's often the reason why they are there. People are broken. This is a broken world. You know, I, I had the Lord correct me one time because I was looking at, and, and I'm not for giving into laziness, okay? 
So there's wisdom in all of this. But I was looking at a particular person one time, and I just said, they're so lazy. I don't want to give them anything. And the Lord said, why do you think that they're lazy? And I said, well, they, they probably weren't taught to work. And he said, well, why do you think they weren't taught to work? I said, well, they probably didn't grow up in a home where work ethic was strong. And he said, why do you think that was there? I said, well, probably because they didn't have a, a loving father, or a loving mother that would teach them things. You see, people are broken, and there's a reason why they are broken. And again, I'm not, I'm not into violating wisdom and how we handle money, but our hearts should never become hardened towards people. It should always be soft and tender, willing to give of the abundance that the Lord has given to us. Let me look at the second type of heart condition here. And this is talking about a, a wicked heart or a selfish heart. And again, this is in verse 9. It says, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. And a, a wicked heart is really just a selfish heart because you're thinking about self. And if you read this in context, that's what it's talking about. And a selfish or a wicked heart is just one that sees the need but will not meet the need. So a hardened heart won't even, won't even look and won't even see it as unwilling to even, even notice it. But a wicked or a selfish heart will see it, but is unwilling to meet that need. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, I love this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, let's pull this up here. And I just want everybody to see this. Are you all with me? It's quiet in here. 1 John 3 and 17. Here we go. It says, but those... Uh, actually, let's go back to the New King James because I can't do the these and the thous and the half stuff. There we go. It says, but whoever has this world's goods, what's that talking about? It's talking about money. It's talking about possessions. It's talking about things. It says, whoever has that and sees his brother in need and shuts up his, his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So in other words, if the love of God is really truly in you and you say that it's in you, but you're unwilling to help people when, in their time of need? He's saying, how can that possibly be? How can you say that, God, that God's love is in you and that you know God and you know God's love and God's love, all that stuff? How can you say that and do that and live like that, but then totally shut up your bowels of compassion as the original King James says, your bowels of compassion? How can you shut that up, your heart, and not be willing to give to somebody? That's a re- you know, that's like, it's like a meter, it's like we say we love God, we come in and we just, you know, we worship the Lord. And it's like this is a great experience. And then we go somewhere. And again, there's wisdom in it. I've had times when I've given to people and, and I knew that the Lord was telling me to do it and other people might not have given. And I've had other times to where other people might have given, but the Lord said, don't give a penny into it. You have to use wisdom in it. But the willingness to do it, the willingness to see their pain and their suffering and find a way to alleviate it should never leave a person who claims to have the love of God manifest in their life. It should never be apart from us as people that claim to know the God of love. James chapter 2, 14 through 17. Let's pull this up here real quick and look at this. James 2, 14 through 17. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
So he's saying here, if you've got the ability and you say you trust the Lord and you have a relationship with the Lord, and yet specifically, forget the rest of the world, but specifically, one of your brothers or sisters doesn't have their needs met, it doesn't say a whole lot about our faith to say that God's for me and he's with me and he's blessed me, and then to say, yeah, I'm not going to help you. (laughs) Faith without works is dead. You know what's interesting, and I don't have a whole lot of time to explain this, but Uh, James says that we're justified by our works. Romans says that we're justified by our faith. Which one is true? They're both true, but it's talking about two different things. Romans is making reference to how Abraham was justified by faith, although he did have works that were attached to it, and that's talking about his faith was made complete because he did act on what he believed, but he was justified before God, and we are justified before God by our faith. You don't actually have to do things. Well, you need to do things. If you never do anything, then I would question whether you're really born again. (laughs) If you never do anything for anybody, I would question a real heart conversion took place. But real true Bible faith and salvation with the Lord, right standing with the Lord is because you believe in him, period, right? But James says that you're not justified by your faith alone, but by your works. What's the difference? Romans is before men. I'm before God, excuse me. And James is talking about before men. So if you look upon your brother and you say, oh, you know, I belong to the Lord and and God's good or whatever, and you don't have any actions to back it up, in that man's eyes, you're not justified before the Lord. Amen. It's quiet in here. I mean, I'm really probably preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to a bunch of people that, are, that have a lot of liberality in their heart and giving to people, and, and, and I've, I commend you for that regularly. But this is a warning to us. This is something for us to watch out because as we, wa- as we read in First Timothy or Second Timothy that in, in the end times, perilous times will come, and many, many people, why did he write that to Timothy? It's because Timothy was the leader of the church of Ephesus that had thousands of people, and he was saying, watch out because these kind of things are going to happen. So what was Timothy's job? To tell the people, watch out, because as the time grows darker, as the days grow darker, don't let your hearts be tuned into the darkness of this world, but tuned into the light of the gospel of Jesus, which is extremely liberal towards you concerning love and concerning giving. Amen? Amen. Let me move on to the last heart condition here. And in verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 15, it says, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. So a grieved heart is one that meets the need, but does it out of obligation and not out of love. Oh, this is extremely important. I actually personally believe that anything that we don't do in love, that we don't get rewarded for in heaven. I can't give you an exact verse for that, but that's what I firmly believe. Anything we do, because see, we get re- God has a reward system, and we don't always see the rewards of things that we do here on this earth. In fact, I think most of it we don't. But there are there are rewards that the Lord has for us. There are there are crowns and jewels in our crown and jewels in our robe and all of that kind of stuff that we'll have to lay at the feet of Jesus. And some people say, well, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't want to be the only one that doesn't have stuff to lay at the feet of Jesus. Do you really want to circle around the throne and be like, sorry, I, I don't have anything. I didn't do anything to, to earn any rewards. You go read it in the Bible, that, that's all there. So there are rewards and things that will come to us for things that we do. 
And I'm of the opinion that those rewards come to us because we do those things in love. Because if you're, if you're doing them for any other pur- purpose, because you're under obligation or because you want to make a name for yourself, I always love it when people are like, and there's a, there's a fine line because I'm not afraid to talk about giving and being a good example and things like that. But it's always awesome when someone's like, I gave, da 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 It's like, okay, well, you got your reward right there. Whatever pat on the back that, that, that you get, that is your reward right there. Because it really wasn't done for love. It was done out of selfishness. It was done out of look at me. It was done, done out of what a great person I am. And so when we give, there should be a level. I mean, you don't have to be totally secret about everything. But there should be a level of just you're just doing it because you want to meet a need, because you love people, because you love the ministry, because you want to be a blessing. And then you just leave it at that. Amen? Praise God. And so here in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to talk about this just a little bit more, and we, we know this well. Man, it's quiet in this place. Maybe I'm not preaching very good today, I don't know. But my identity is not in your response, it's in the word. But a little amen would help me out if you wouldn't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So again, a grieved heart is one that meets the need but does it out of obligation or some other reason and doesn't do it out of love. I've seen people, and I've been at that place before, to where it was like I saw a need, and it was like, ah, oh, man, here we go. <laughs> That's a grieved heart. You know what I'd say to a person like that? Take your money, stick it back in your pocket, and go on your selfish way and let God deal with your heart. I mean, that's really what I would say to somebody like that. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now listen to this verse. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love has to be the motivation for every single thing that we do. Whether you're looking at something and saying, I just want to give to it, or the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to give to that, either way, the motivation needs to be because we love God and we love people and we simply want to be a blessing. And I would say the first two hearts that I talked about, having a wicked or a selfish heart and a hardened heart, most people sitting in this room and most of you that are watching online, you don't fall into that. But this category, people fall into this very often. They give something, they do something, and they don't really do it motivated by love. They do it because they, they feel obligated, even people that tithe. You know, here's the thing is that I believe in tithing with all of my heart. Liz and I live a lifestyle of tithing and we give and all of that. And we love doing that. But you know, if you're not careful, you can get to a point to where you just write out the check, you throw the money in the offering plate, you give online, however it is that you do it. And it just becomes just a thing that you do. But are you really doing it motivated by love? Are you really giving that gift because you love God, you love the church, you love whatever you're giving into? Are you doing it because you love or because you are under some obligation? It's amazing. I meet a lot of New Testament people because, see, tithing is a, is a proper thing to do no matter what time period you're living in. But the motivation now, for certain now, should be because we love God. Under the law, they did it because they were fearful of what would come to them if they didn't do it. That's not a right motivation for doing anything. 
I mean, I guess if you're going to get struck down dead <laughs> under the law, that's not a bad motivation or a bad reasoning. Be like, I don't want to die, so I'm going to do this thing. I don't want to lose my rewards. So that's not bad. But the highest level of motivation for doing anything in the kingdom of God should be from the example that Jesus set. He gave because he loves. He gave because he loved. And so we should give everything we do because we, we love and we want to be a blessing. So the only way to do that, it's, you know, when it talks about in this next verse, we're going to go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, and this talks about being a cheerful giver. Being a cheerful giver doesn't mean you just put a smile on your face when you, when you give. It's, it goes deeper than that to where you have a desire to do the thing that you're doing. Have you ever, when you were a kid, did your parent ever ask you to do something that you really didn't want to do? but you felt it necessary to put a smile on your face so you didn't get spanked or you didn't get grounded or whatever it is. That's not what the Lord is looking for here. He's not looking for, for you to say, Lord, I hear you that, I'm going, that you want me to tithe. I'm, I hear you that you want me to give into this ministry or give to this person. I hear you, and Jesus, I'm going to do it. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for our hearts to be so soft and tender to say, God, it is my pleasure, it's my honor, my king to do anything for you because you gave me everything. Amen. That's the heart condition that the Lord is looking for. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 here in verse 7. It says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. In other words, not because you're grieved or, or because you're sad or that you're sad while you're doing it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And again, that doesn't mean that you have a smile on your face and have this religious persona so that when the offering plate or the bucket passes you, you're doing your, your duty and you're cheerful. No, this is an issue of the heart. And I would say this, that a person who can't come to a place of being cheerful about giving, it comes back to one of two things, either because they, they don't know God's love or they have, so they have a lack of love or they have a lack of trust in the Lord. Because if God is really your source, let me put it this way, if it pains you to give, God is not really your source, or at least you don't recognize that he is. If it pains you to give, you don't recognize God as your source, you recognize you as your source. Because what goes through people's minds when they give and they do it under obligation, they do it and they're, and they're sad, they're grieved, is they're thinking, this took me this many hours to make this money, and here I am giving it to this, that, or the other. And you wouldn't think that people would give like that, but for whatever reason, people do. They do give like that. I don't want to say stop giving, but stop giving like that. <laughs> Go back and say, Lord, help me, to, help me to have a heart like you, a generous heart that isn't grieved to let go of what you've given me. Because after all, you gave me the time to invest in to make the money to give, and you gave me the energy, the understanding, the wisdom, the ability to work the job to make the money. All of it came from you, and now here it is, and I'm going to give what you tell me to give. I'm going to do what you tell me to give. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Amen? It's right to have that kind, of, that kind of posture. If you don't have that posture in giving, you need to stop giving like that. You need to start giving with the right mindset, the right attitude. And the only way you can fix that is you have to go and get before the Lord and say, Lord, either I've got a lack of love in my heart for you or people, or I don't understand your love properly, or I just don't trust you enough to release what's in my hand. Because if we do it and we're saddened, we're grieved, we do it begrudgingly or of necessity, 
like, I guess this is my duty, then it's really not about love, and we certainly have a problem in trusting the Lord in that area. Man, this is a, this is a growth message. Because you can get a hold of what I'm saying here. It will cause you to grow and to increase in your life in so many other areas. I just go back to what I very first started with, and I'm going to quit with this. And that is that this area is foundational for being able to advance in any area in, with the Lord. And it's not just about, because see, you can, God cares more about the heart behind the gift than he does the gift. Because you could say, well, Lord, I'm being faithful and I'm tithing. But all the while you're like, well, I guess this is my duty. If that's what you think about it, then you're wrong. It's not about, it's not about fulfilling your duty. It's, it's about going, God, you blessed me. You so poured out for God so loved the world that he gave. Now I'm going to turn around and I'm going to do the same thing. It's just developing a heart to where you are super abounding with the love of God. And because love is there, trust is a byproduct of love. You know, when you're loved by somebody, you trust them. My kids, they know, they know that I love them and they never question whether I'm going to meet their, their needs. They never question whether there's gonna be food on the table and a roof over their heads. Why? Because I love them and they know that I love them. It's the same thing with the Lord. If you know the love of God, you would never question whether you can really truly trust him or not. And if the Lord tells you to do, do something, you'd say, Father, it's no problem. It belongs to you anyways. And I know what looks like lack to me is only increase for the future for my life and for your kingdom. And I'm going to trust you with what I'm doing right now. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.